This morning's scripture passage is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Good morning. On this first weekend of spring break, I've started a new tradition with my three sons. When they're in town around this time of year for spring break, I play basketball with them, and then I spend the next six months recovering from the injury I've had. <laughs> it's happened about the last three years, and uh, this weekend it was my knee, my right knee, so... Uh, I'm moving a little slowly, but uh, the uh, basketball was great fun. The injury, not so much, but... Well, marriage. Marriage is a challenge for us all. I'm reminded of the story of a couple that was celebrating its 50th wedding anniversary. And they were asked, what was the secret behind their 50 years of successful marriage? Well, the husband replied, when we first got married, we made an agreement. We agreed that I would make all the major decisions and my wife would make all the minor decisions. And in 50 years of marriage, we've never had a major decision. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Well, for the next two weeks, we'll be looking at marriage in this wonderful passage in Ephesians. And let me encourage you that if you're only here today or you're only hearing this one and you're going to be gone next week, make sure you listen to the, on the Internet or you get the CD or whatever because it's two parts and you need to hear both. Though today the focus is on wives, next week it's on husbands who really will wrap up the whole thing next week. So it's really important you hear both. And I just want to say as we begin talking about marriage, I want to acknowledge those who are single, who long to be married, and talking about marriage is very painful for you. 
those who are in especially lonely marriages, broken marriages, abusive marriages. It's hard. I, I, I get that. But I think God wants you to hear this. Partly because God's call to submission and to love, the specific call to wives and to husbands, is a call to every believer. We're all called to submit. We're all called to love over and over again in the scriptures. So what we're talking about, though specifically applied to marriage, really applies to all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's a call to every believer. Now, as we look at this passage on submission, wives, submit to your husbands, I believe this is one of the most misused and most misunderstood passages in all the scriptures. It raises huge struggles and questions, misunderstandings. And I would venture to say that all of us in this room have in some way, a wrong understanding of what submission in marriage is all about. Uh, I think we've been tainted by our world. We don't really understand God's will for submission and male headship. We have our preconceptions, but that isn't necessarily what this passage is talking about. And so I'm challenging you this morning, no matter what your view has been, that you have an open heart and an open mind and ask God to teach you his view of submission. My title for this two weeks is A Radical Christian Marriage. I believe Christian marriage is meant to be completely different than the marriages in the world around us. They have a quality that is completely different. And so I'm challenging you to listen and hear what God wants to say to you. Because just in my study in these last few weeks, I have learned a lot that I didn't understand before about Christian marriage. So be open to what God might teach you today. Let me begin with prayer. Lord, as we open up this difficult passage and this difficult topic, may you speak to us. May you especially minister to those that are longing to be married or those that are in especially difficult and painful marriages. May they know your comfort and your grace and may you, by your Spirit, Teach them what you want them to hear today. For all of us, Lord, may we learn more what it means to be submissive in all our relationships, but especially in marriage. Help us especially all to learn to be submissive and to be loving, to follow you as our example. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we dig into the passage together, I think it's very important that we understand Paul's purpose in giving us this passage in Ephesians on marriage. Because I think if we don't see his goals, we will misunderstand the passage terribly. I think Paul has three goals in this passage. Number one, I think his first goal is to correct cultural confusion. Correct cultural confusion. Number two, I think his goal is to counter our old humanity, the flesh, the old way of life. Remember in Ephesians, we're moving from the old life, put off the old, and we're learning to put on the new. 
sit, walk, stand. We're learning to walk. We're in that section of Ephesians now where we're learning to live out all that God has done for us as described in chapters 1 through 3. So he wants to counter our old humanity. And third, he wants to call us to live by our new humanity, to be filled with the Spirit, and in particular in our marriages. So I want to expand on these three goals he has. First, to correct cultural confusion. Let's talk a little bit about the New Testament world, the the Greek and Roman world that Paul is writing to. As you probably know, it was a very patriarchal society overall. Men had mostly all the rights, mostly all the legal rights. Women did not. They had no legal rights to speak of. Men were in charge of their homes, of society, patriarchal society. So that was part of what they were living with. But in Ephesus, where this letter is written to and to the surrounding churches, surrounding towns, there was a whole other cultural pressure. You see, Ephesus was the home of the cult of Artemis. The temple of Artemis in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was incredibly fabulous, huge temple. And in that temple, which according to tradition, the whole cult of Artemis was begun by the Amazon women who came down from the north, warrior women who were dominant and strong and powerful. And in the cult of Artemis, women were the leaders. They were the priestesses. They ran the cult. So in that town, there was this confusion because women had a very dominant role in the town of Ephesus and in the surrounding area because of this cult of Artemis. So that led to a certain confusion about men's and women's roles and how do we relate to one another. Then you add to that that people were coming to Christ and they were hearing the message that men and women are absolutely equal before the Lord. There is no male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. In the Lord, we are absolutely equal. And all of a sudden, men and women are worshiping together and women are having an opportunity to be part of worship and leading and all kinds of things, using their gifts. And this was, re- this was uh, revolutionary for their society. So in that confusion, you've got the patriarchy and the Artemis cult, and then you've got people coming to the Lord. People were confused, and they were wondering, how do we dwell together then? (laughs) What does God really call us in the ways we live together, especially in marriage? How do men and women relate, husbands and wives? Well, let's think about our own culture and our own cultural confusion. Uh, We're terribly confused. We've lived largely in a patriarchal world. Men have been able to dominate. They've been in control. And though we call ourselves a Christian nation and we say we've been a Christian nation from the beginning, it wasn't until 1920 that women even received the right to vote and to run for office. Interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Where's the equality in that? But since that time, there's been a strong movement to put down the male dominance that has been uh, controlling much of our culture, Western culture, Eastern culture, our whole world. 
And so there's been a move in recent years, uh, a reaction to the male dominance, so that our culture now promotes androgyny, is a word you might use, a leveling, a wiping out of all differences between men and women. There's pressure that men should be soft, feminine, and women should be strong and powerful and masculine. The result I see in our culture is a great frustration, confusion. Men have nowhere to feel like men, so they're drawn to sports and hunting where they feel like they have some way to express their strength. Because in culture, it's not okay. And women are frustrated themselves. They're especially made, if they're a nurturing woman, to feel worthless. They're made to feel worthless if they aren't strong and assertive and if they don't have a career. So our culture puts them down as less than others. You add to that this whole drive in our culture for personal autonomy, the individualistic pressure we have that you need to stand up for yourself and and you need to be the center of your universe. You need to be autonomous. Life must be fair and you should stand up for your own rights, always. And on top of that, we have a much cultural confusion about what marriage even is. We're told over and over again, ah, marriage is just a construct of religion. It's not designed by God at all. It's something that has been designed by man and therefore we can redefine it as no longer between a man and a woman, but between two of the same sex, etc. And it keeps getting expanded and confused. So that's the cultural confusion we live in, which was much like the first century cultural confusion. And so we wonder, what does it mean to be husbands and wives together in a Christian way? So Paul, first of all, is writing to correct cultural confusion. Secondly, he's writing to counter the old man, the old humanity, the flesh. Since sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, right from the beginning, we are selfish. We come into marriage with this drive to want our spouses to meet our needs. Not to give freely to our spouses, but we want them to meet our needs. So in marriage, men come in and they long for their wives to give them the respect that they so desperately want as men. But we are so fearful of our wives' rejection that we protect ourselves and men tend to fall into avoiding. We avoid either through dominance or through withdrawal. Men dominate their control, but it's a way to protect themselves from the fear of rejection. You see, dominant men are weak men. And men who withdraw are doing the same thing, trying to, out of their weakness and fear, protect themselves from hurt, so they just shut down. Women in their fallenness long for love. That's part of God's creation. They long for love and security in a relationship with a man who really cares for them. But because marriage is hard and he's not perfect, he doesn't love her well, women fall into control. And they control often either through kind of an, an appeasement 
where they work hard and if I could just keep my husband happy, he'll someday love me like I want to be loved and so she's trying to maneuver and control everything that happens and it never really works. Or women control through manipulation, trying to get what they want from them and that never works either. Or they try to protect themselves to stay safe. And that is all the flesh. That's the old humanity. And Paul is trying to counter that because that never works. Paul's third goal in writing this section, I believe, is to call us to the new humanity. Paul is saying when you're filled with the Spirit, when God's working in you, you will live a new way, different than what the culture says or what your flesh, the old humanity says. You will live out the life of Christ in your marriage completely different than those around you. Because you are a new creation. I've planted my life in you. And you have a new way to live in your marriages. He's calling us to be Christ to one another. And I want you to hear this very clearly. God's plan for marriage is meant to bring the greatest fulfillment to women and to men. God's call... God's plan is meant to bring the greatest fulfillment to both women and men in our marriage relationships. As we learn to live as one, live together, work together for the building up of the kingdom of God, as a team, as a partnership together, living for the kingdom of God. So let's dig into this passage together. Notice... Your Bibles probably break it, a paragraph break between verse 21 and 22. But let's set the whole context here because I think that is not a good break. <laughs> this passage begins in 4.1 ultimately where it says, we are called to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. So we're learning to walk as the new humanity that God's called us to be. This new life in us. How does this look? How do we live it out in a crazy world? And as we're learning to put off the old man, put off the flesh, and live in this new humanity. To live in Christ. And then he comes to 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit. Now grammatically in the Greek, and David Talked about this last week. Let me highlight it for you. Grammatically in the Greek, that is the main verb that governs really a whole chapter. The rest of this chapter and well into chapter 6. Be filled with the Spirit. And then that command has five subordinate verbs underneath it. One of which is submit to one another in the fear of Christ. The last one in verse 21. Everything from verse 21 through 6, 9 is saying, and here's how you are to submit to one another in certain relationships. Here's how wives submit. Here's how husbands submit in their marriages. Here's how children submit. Here's how parents submit. Here's how employees submit. Here's how employers. It's slaves and masters, but it applies to us as employees and employers. So that's what we'll be looking at in the next few weeks. What does it look like to live submissively in all those major 
relationships that we have. Here's how it looks. But notice the command. We are all to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. The Spirit will always move us. As we learn to walk in the Spirit, depend on His life in us, the Spirit will always move you to a submissive relationship with others around you. And that is a position of strength, of power, in a sense, where you're learning to place yourself under others for their good. But it means that the Spirit will move us not to a position of dominance, but submission. So if you are taking a controlling, a dominant position, commanding others to submit to you, that is not the Spirit. That is not God's call. It is never God's call to us as believers. So we are to submit to one another. Be subject to one another. Same idea. What is submission? What is being subject? That word means to voluntarily rank myself under another person for their greater good. Voluntarily, out of a position of strength, to voluntarily rank myself under another person for their greater good. To use my resources to build them up, to strengthen them, to help them become all that God created them to be. It means to put aside my selfish interests for the sake of another person. In the fear of Christ, it says, you see, it all comes out of our relationship with Him. If I reverence Him, if I trust Him, if I really believe that Jesus is going to take care of me, then I don't have to control you or manipulate you or do anything. I can rest in what He is doing for me and use my resources for your good. That is the joy of living in this new covenant, in this new humanity that God is doing in us, building in us as we're learning to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Now, most Christians, when they try to define what does submission mean in marriage, they tend to define it with a, well, it's, you know, the husband makes the final decision, if need be. To be honest, I think submission has very little to do with decision-making. I just don't think that's what Paul... He's not thinking that shallowly here. He's thinking much more deeply and profoundly than who makes the decisions. In fact, I think a good marriage, most decisions are made together. In fact, maybe all marriages are made together. I just think that's wrong. It's, it's not about who has the most influence or the most power or control or decision-making ability. Well, let's look at what it does mean. Let's look at this passage together. It begins in verse 22. Wives, be submissive or subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. I want to highlight a few things here. Notice, first of all, he says, be submissive to your own husbands. There's a special application. We're to submit to everybody in some degree, but there's a special submission that happens within marriage, and it's only to your own husband. Not all women, to all men but a wife to her own husband is to be submissive in a unique way. To be submissive to the husband who has covenanted with you, committed himself 
for all his life to love you, to sacrifice himself for you. Secondly, notice it says, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Wives are to be submissive as to the Lord, for Christ is the head of the church, which means he's also head of the wife. Christ, ultimately, is the head. What is he saying here? I think Paul's saying that submission to your husband as a wife is always out of your submission to Jesus. First and foremost, that's what it's all about. It's trusting your heart to him. It's believing that he is taking control of you. And as my submission, out of my submission to Jesus, as my ultimate head, I'm learning to trust Jesus so in a way that I can now submit to my husband, seek his best, use all my resources for his good to build him up, to help him become the man that God created him to be. Ultimately, submission is trusting God to take care of you as a wife and trusting God to work through your imperfect husband as you follow him. Not trusting that your husband's going to do it all right, because you know that ain't going to happen. <laughs> no, it's trusting Jesus that he's at work, even in your imperfect husband, and therefore I can submit to the Lord first and then ultimately to my husband. And then you've got the statement, the husband is the head of the wife. What is headship? Well, I don't really want to talk about it today. I'm going to put it off till next week, <laughs> mostly. But I want you to note something very important. Uh, a couple of words we'll talk about much more next week that I think have to do with headship. I, I would use the word leadership, maybe, responsibility. People like to throw out the word authority. I don't think that's what he's getting out at here. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. Headship can mean authority. I don't think he means that here, and let me tell you why. Notice what he says. He says, as Christ is, the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. 24 times in the book of Ephesians, Paul calls Jesus Lord. He's emphasizing Jesus' authority, his power. Only one time in the entire book of Ephesians does Paul call Jesus Savior. You see, headship has two parts to it, at least. One is authority, power, control. But the other part is giving up your life for another like Jesus did for us. It's setting aside your own interests for the sake of another. So Paul it clearly is emphasizing in this passage Husbands, when you think about headship, here's how I want you to think about it. Not about authority, but this aspect of Jesus' headship. That he's a savior who gave up all his rights, all his rights, for our sake. And husbands, that's the kind of headship I'm calling you to. That's what Paul's emphasizing in this text. And we will talk about that more next week and I know some of you men are thinking, boy, I'm going to find something else to do next week. But <laughs> No, you need to be here. We all need to hear this.
See, Jesus' headship models for a husband not lordship, but savior, dying for the sake of those you love. And then it says to women, it says, you are to be submissive, those last two words, verse 24, in everything. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to submit to my husband in everything? Uh, Yeah. Wives, what the Lord is telling you here is that there's no place you can hold on to and say, well, he can have this part of my life, but not this part. I'm going to dig in my heels here. This is my blank, blank, blank. (laughs) My money, my territory, my house, my kids, my whatever. No. He says you need to submit in everything. Why? Because God's goal, as we'll see next week, for marriage is oneness. That we might truly become one and reflect to the world the beauty of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the oneness that they have in there within the Trinity itself, that we might become one in a way that reflects the love of God to a dark world. That's God's goal. And so there's nothing we can hold back, either husbands or wives, and hold and keep for ourselves. Let me read what marriage is not. I like what Nancy Groom, and I think it's safer to read what a woman says. She's been through it. Nancy Groom, a book called Married Without Masks. I highly recommend it to you as a marriage book, but it's out of print. Uh, I can find you a copy if you really want one. Married Without Masks. She says this. Marital submission does not make a wife an extension of her husband, nor does it make him an extension of her, for that matter. A submissive wife is not called to close her eyes to her husband's faults as though they did not exist, nor is she required to have sex with her husband whenever he feels like it. It certainly does not mean she ought to patiently take abuse, whether physical or verbal. She does not have to commit intellectual suicide. She should feel free to think her thoughts and offer her opinion on any issue. Moreover, a wife need not necessarily deny herself the option of using her giftedness in a job outside the home considering, of course, how that would affect her obligations to her family. These are some of the things submission does not mean. Now, to give a picture of maybe what submission is, how it's worked out in our marriage, I've asked my wife, Jeannie, to come up and just share part of her journey in learning about submission. My knees are weak. Um, I came into marriage with some misconceptions about what it meant to be a Christian wife, a submissive wife. This was influenced um, by observing marriages both within the church and in my own world. I don't like conflict, so the idea of disagreeing with Jackson brought me much confusion. There were times that it was okay and times when it left us in turmoil. I found that early in our marriage, Jackson was not sure what to do with a part of me. That was the Italian part, the the feisty spirit. He tended to stifle that part of me out of his own issues. So rather than cause conflict, it was easy for me to let that part stay hidden. I thought that was being a loving and submissive wife. 
We went on like this for a while, part of, um, both of us not really sure what this submission should look like. What was my role as a wife and his as a husband? We had misconceptions that were hurting our trust and our marriage. We had the awesome opportunity at one point in our marriage to go to a program where we both received counseling, education, and input that opened our eyes to the reality of where we were and where we were headed. I began to share my heart with my husband, and he began to handle it without trying to fix me. It was a wonderful community, and it was a time of real healing for our marriage, but it was short-lived. When we left this community, we ventured out and ended up in a new community that was quite different, less supportive, and it was very lonely. Here was a new opportunity for me to put all that I had learned into practice. At first, I feel like, felt like I failed miserably. Um, about the next six months, I was angry, I was lonely, and I was hurting. Jackson knew it. The good part was that I was not hiding anymore, but I was not submitting either. But it was not to Jackson that I was not submitting to. It was to the Lord. It was the Lord who had brought us to that place, and I went willingly. But once there, I was struggling. The battle in my heart was with God, but it was Jackson who bore the brunt of my disappointment. I was disappointed with God's choice for us, so what did submission mean for me in this circumstance? It meant looking God in the face, letting him know my feelings, and being willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. It took me a while, a long while, to be able to say that. And it meant that Jackson had to live with my disappointment. It also meant that I needed to learn to share my heart without an expectation of things to change immediately. How did I eventually move on? It took some creative thinking on, my, on our parts. Lots of tears, lots of discussion, as well as movement outside the box. Mostly it took a change of heart and mind. Choosing to be content where God had placed us for however long he had placed us there. Even in my loneliness, I could choose to love and care for those he entrusted to me, to show hospitality, to be patient. I could also choose to not try to manipulate my husband, but share my heart openly, remembering that Jackson is not God. There were many reasons that we had been brought to that place, which I give God much glory for, but those were all things we learned later. Thankfully, Jackson hung in there with me, loving me right where I was, knowing that he could not change the situation, he could not fix me, Rather, his role was to love me, to pursue me, and to continue to pray for me. A more recent example of a situation we had to work through was partly a financial situation. Living on a budget, part of what we have worked out for our marriage was that we don't, I don't buy non-daily items over a certain amount without talking it over. For example, we had decided to start looking for a new coffee table over a year ago. Okay, I'm the one that looks, and I'm not a great shopper. There are not too many coffee tables at food stores. <laughs> I finally find a coffee table that I really like the looks of, and it was on sale. That's very important to me. 
I went home to, and told Jackson about it, and his comment was, why didn't I buy it? And that was obvious to me. I didn't buy it because I value his opinion. We look at things differently. He sees things from a practical perspective that adds to my visual perspective, making us a good team. So we went together to see it, and he did not think it was made very well. I could have been really disappointed at that point because I'd already spent a year looking. But his comment was, I'm sorry, I would rather spend more money on something that was made well than something that isn't going to last. Tell me what you like about this coffee table so that we can look together and see if we can find something similar. That was really easy to submit to, okay? We continued our search, eventually finding something that was made well, fit our budget, and was visually appealing to me. In this instance, submission meant waiting. Often it does. A bit of a compromise on my part in style, because we couldn't get the exact same coffee table, more research, and more involvement together um, to find something that we both agreed on. I hope, I hope this helps you to think how to submit to the Lord, to one another, without feeling somehow less. God has made us women, women with feelings, with emotions, with purpose, with wisdom.